you can join me by opening your Bibles to James 5.13 for the reading of today's scripture. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And if the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. We've now had the entire book of James read to us over the last 10 weeks. Isn't that good? Let's pray together. Father, what a blessing it is now to come to your word. What a blessing it is uh, that you have given us uh, your word written down and translated for us in a language that we can understand. God, what a blessing it is uh, that you are not silent, that you have spoken, that you have given us your word so that we can know you for who you truly are, not just what we think or feel or, or wish, God, but who you truly are. What, what a blessing that is. God, as you have spoken to us, may we hear your word, may we be receptive to it, and God, even as we've just heard, may we then turn and pray to you. God, may we not be silent before you. May we come frequently and fervently before you, dependent upon you in all things. And may we uh, enjoy the blessing of your presence, our good Heavenly Father. Thank you for this time now, in Christ's name. Amen. This week I received a, an invitation I thought I would share with you because I thought it was it was pretty cool because the invitation to meet with somebody I really look up to, uh, and, uh, and I think you, you would enjoy this too if, if, if you get this invitation, but uh, I know I'm a pastor, and so um, you know the people I think are cool are not always the same people that everybody thinks are cool, uh, so I thought I'd try to think of a way that you would also think this is cool. So here's what the way I thought of it. The, the pastors, the elders and I, we went to a conference in Louisville earlier this year called Together for the Gospel, which is a really mainly aimed at pastors. And so uh, these are the kind of people that I really look up to, the, you know, the big, big name pastors that speak of these kind of things, and, and I read their books and you know, enjoy, enjoy a lot of their stuff. And so uh, I, I want you to just picture your version of that conference. So whatever you're into, whatever the things that you focus on or enjoy, if, if a bunch of that, your hobby or your interest, if there was a conference and all the big name people from that conference were together, who would those people be for you? That's who I want you to be thinking about, you know, so if you're, um, you know, a, a major league baseball person, maybe uh, it was, a, a, you, you got to go to Cooperstown for uh, an induction ceremony to the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame, and you can think of all the big names that would be there for that kind of, of ceremony, or maybe if you're a tech person, there's some big conference at Silicon Valley, and all the tech people are there, and those are the big people that speak uh, at the conference, uh, or, or maybe your thing's politics, maybe it's all, some national convention, and all the big politicians are there, you know? So that, that's, the, that's the category of, of, of people that I want you to be thinking about as, you, as I tell you about my, my invitation. Now, for, for the, the conference we went to, the, the, the main one from the whole conference 
that's, that's who I got invited to meet with this week. I, I, got, I got invited to meet with the main person from that whole conference, which is just so cool. And actually, you, you have the same invitation because that conference was about God. And we're all invited. And that invitation is right here in God's Word. James 5.13, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. If anyone among you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, I hope I didn't, that wasn't a letdown to you. I hope that wasn't a letdown that I only get to meet with God and not some big name pastor from Louisville, Kentucky or wherever else. And I hope it would not be a letdown for you if instead of getting to meet some Silicon Valley giant or some tech person or Major League Baseball hero, that you get to meet with the God who created all the universe. I hope that's not a letdown to you. It's a much greater invitation and one that is a standing invitation to every single one of us at any moment of any day. I imagine that for many of us, if not most of us, we'd confess we don't take God up on that invitation as often as we should. We have an open invitation to have the ear of the God who created the world. And yet, many times we just RSVP, no thanks. I'm busy. I got things to do. Too many things going on today, God. Maybe, maybe tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow. As we close out our series in James, my, my encouragement and my invitation to you is a clear, is the clear emphasis of this passage today. Seven times and from verse 13 to 18, so seven, seven times in six verses, he says pray or prayer. It's, a clear, it's one of these times that the, the emphasis couldn't be clearer. He's talking about prayer and he's inviting you, inviting me and all Christians at all times to talk to the God that we proclaim, that we preach about, that we think about day in and day out. We have the opportunity to pray. And why, the way he invites us, the, 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 the invitation that he extends to us, he paints it beautifully to us in this, this broad way. So here's how I want you to consider this invitation. Whether sick, sinning, suffering, or celebrating, come to God in prayer. Whether sick, sinning, suffering, or celebrating, if you're in any of those situations, or any other situation, come to God in prayer. Do you hear, see that here in James 5? Sickness is in verse 14 and 15. Sin is in verse 15, 16, and 20. Suffering is in verse 13. Celebrating is in verse 13. And do you know what James invites us to do in all those cases? Pray. Pray. The prayer may sound different in those situations. The prayer may look different. Your emotions may be different. You may be gathered with different groups of people. You may have more people or less people in different situations. There could be all kinds of variables, but this is constant through all those situations. We have an opportunity to pray. Maybe you're looking carefully at verse 13. You say, wait, 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 hold on. Wait a second. I know that you said prayer a bunch of times, but 13 says, if you are celebrating, if you're, if you're cheerful, sing praise. That's not the same thing. Or is it? Right? Who are we singing to? Who are we praising? We're praising God is not a, a song of praise, just an artful and music version of a prayer. So in all these cases, whether sick or sinning or suffering or celebrating, come to God in prayer. If you're, when you're sick, that is a great time to pray, is it not? And of all the situations, maybe this one feels the most 
natural. There's something in us. When we take prayer requests, we think of people who are sick. We think of God who is able to heal our bodies. And so we recognize that, that there are many things physically that, that are just beyond our control. And so we come to God in prayer. But let's don't take that for granted just because that seems natural to, to some of us. Let us continually, consistently come to God in prayer for those who are sick and when we are sick. And even invite others to join us in that process. It says to invite the elders, invite the people, the leaders of the church to come and to pray. Be in community with one another to pray, even in our hardships. It's not that the elders have come kind of superpower. All Christians have the same access to God. But we're joining together, having a, 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 a unity of heart as we pray over somebody who is sick. We can pray to God when we're sick. And we can pray to God when we're sinning or when we have sinned. Verse 16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. It may be a little easier to pray when we're sick than when we're sinning because when we pray when we're sinning, we're admitting we're a sinner. And that's not so fun sometimes. We're a little slow. We're, we're faster to acknowledge, yeah, I'm sick, than to acknowledge that the sickness is with my soul, that I am a sinner. And that is a harder prayer to pray. Maybe for many of us, yeah, we'll, we'll, okay, I, we'll quickly acknowledge, yeah, I, I sinned, but we don't want to think about it a whole lot. Prayer would require us thinking about it and admitting it so we'll acknowledge it, but then move quickly past it. We want to hide from God like Adam and Eve did and get away from our sin, try to hide from our sin. But God calls us to admit to it, get it out in the open, confess that to the Lord and to one another, bring it to light and pray through even our sin, not just our sickness. Whether sick, sinning, or suffering, verse 13, is anyone among you suffering, let him pray. It may be hard to pray when you're sinning, it's especially hard to pray when you're suffering. In suffering and hardships and struggles and agony and grief and pain, sometimes the last thing we want to do is think about God. Sometimes He's the one we're just mad at. We got questions, not prayers. We got, we're frustrated. And so we're slow sometimes to pray. We get angry and we get mad and we don't want to pray. I often say, God's big enough to handle your questions. God's big enough to handle your anger. God's big enough to handle all of that. The key is to just not stop coming to God. So even in our suffering, even in our grief and in our pain and all of our questions, bring them to God. People that are, that are smarter than me tell me that anger is a secondary emotion. So if we're angry toward God, there's usually something underneath that going on in our hearts. Keep coming to God in prayer for long enough to get through the anger at Him, to see what's going on in our hearts, to see why we're carrying this toward Him. So that even in our suffering... We can come to God in prayer. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Whether sick, sinning, suffering, or celebrating. Is anyone cheerful? Verse 13. Let him sing praise. Now I put them in this order because I think actually, oddly enough, celebrating may be the time we are least likely to pray of all the times. When we are actually are going through hard things, if we can get past the anger, if we can get past the frustration, we do pray. But many times when things go well is when we forget to turn and thank God as the one who made things go well. So whether good or bad, whether celebrating or sinning in all things, let us pray. We forget that when we asked for help and then God came through, we should turn and then thank Him for coming through for us. He answered the prayer. Let's not stop praying after He answered the prayer. Let's continue to pray in thanksgiving. Adoration, applause, praise to God is a healthy way to pray. Sometimes the only category or the, the, the main category of prayer we think of is, God, I need this, fill in the blank. And that's a very appropriate way to pray. When we have needs, we should bring them to Him. But it's not the only category of prayer. 
adoration, thanksgiving, praising God, celebrating Him for who He is and what He's done. All that are wonderful ways for us to pray. Let us not forget in our cheer to also pray. It's easy for us as things go well to look back and the primary person we see that has acted in our lives is us. We see our actions, what we did to accomplish the things to get us where we are. And so when we take credit for it, we don't thank anybody else for it because we did it. But we have to remember just the capacity to do anything we do is a gift from God. Plus all the other things God did to bring grace to the situation so that it could go well. Whether sick, sinning, suffering, or celebrating, come to God in prayer. As we noted a few times through James, I think one of the themes in James is humility. And is not prayer a posture of humility? Prayer is coming before God and saying, I can't take credit for what's going well. I can't control the things that are not going well. You are in charge and I am not. Prayer is a posture that says, I'm humble enough to recognize He is Lord. He is Savior and I need Him. That's what prayer is. Prayer is admitting we need God. It's hard to admit that. It's hard to admit we, we need help, but we do. I, I wonder, as I, as I consider James's call to prayer this week, one of the questions I always try to ask myself in, in preaching is, what, what's going to keep us from doing what the text calls us to do? What, what keeps us from prayer? And certainly pride is one of those things, right? Pride is one of the things that we say, I, I, I'm okay. I've got things on my own. I'm going to figure it out. And because of that, that, that self-centered, self-sufficient bent, we don't come to God in prayer. But I wonder what else would make that list for you. If you think about what keeps you from praying, what, what is it? What keeps you from being regularly, fervently, passionately coming to God in prayer? Maybe busyness is what comes to mind first for many people. I just got a lot going on. I've just got one more thing to do. But, but I think that's probably an excuse that doesn't hold a lot of water. We make time for things that we care about most. Not many people have gone a whole week and forgotten to eat. Just slipped their mind, you know. You make time to sleep. Maybe not every day as much as you want, but eventually you make time to sleep. We make time for our family. We make time for vacation. We make time to go to work. So, so business probably by itself is not, not a good enough reason, not a full reason for why we don't think, do the things we do. Maybe the biggest reason for our lack of prayer is just that we don't actually love the Lord that much. We are apathetic toward Him. A couple weeks ago, people quoted back to me. I'm talking about being functional atheists. We believe in God. But we just live life like he doesn't really matter all that much. Do we truly love God? The people you love the most, the people that your heart is drawn to, you make time for them. The people that you care deeply about, you're, you're excited to hear a phone call from them. You're excited when they show up at your house. The people that you love the most, you're excited to spend time with them. I wonder if our, our lack of prayer just shows that our lack of, we have a lack of love for the Lord. That we don't really care all that much about him. With God, we are invited into a deep, personal relationship with Him. He is a Heavenly Father who longs to spend time with us. Do we see that longing? Do we see that love? And do we respond with love for Him? I, I, I pray that like we, we view God not like some distant relative. You know, your distant relative shows up over the summer. You get together for a family reunion. You're excited to see them. You're glad to see them. You hug them. You catch up on life. And you say, okay, I'll see you at the next family reunion next year or five years or whatever. And you're not, it's not, that's okay. It's okay to have distant relationships. But if we treat God that way, that doesn't look real good, does it? When God is not some distant relative. God compares his relationship to us like the covenant of marriage. And I know all of our marriages are, none of our marriages are perfect. But ideally, in marriage, 
We're not just distant relatives that happen to live in the same household and just bump into each other. No, our marriages are meant to be deeply affectional, that we enjoy being with one another. We're delighting in this human relationship. That's the relationship God has picked out. He says, that's how I want to treat you, like a bride. We are the bride of Christ. Do we come to Him with that kind of love, that kind of affection? Is our lack of love what keeps us from prayer? Or perhaps one other reason we don't pray, and I think it's the emphasis of James. James talks about prayer here, but specifically he, he talks about one specific way prayer shows up. Uh, I'm convinced that, and, and, and convicted by this because this is something that probably I, I, I just don't, I don't, I don't give as much credit to as I should. James's emphasis on prayer here is about in all these circumstances we should be praying because prayer is powerful. Prayer is powerful. So my call to you today is to believe that prayer is powerful. That's why James calls us, whether we're sinning or suffering or celebrating or sick or whatever else may be going on, to come to God in prayer. Do you love Him enough and do you trust Him enough? Do you see the power of God so that you want to come to Him in prayer? Maybe the reason we don't pray is that we don't think it really matters. We don't think God really uses it. We don't think God actually shows up and responds to our prayers. We think of it as just words to the wind. We don't think it actually matters. And yet over and over again in the Bible, and especially here in this passage, there is no doubt that power has tre- prayer has tremendous power. If anything, these verses might make us a little bit uncomfortable thinking about how these work with God through the mind of God. We might read this and doubt, is this really true? But this is God's word. It is true. Do we really believe that prayer is as powerful as God's word says it is? Now, to believe in the power of prayer, first we need to understand the power of God, right? That's who we're talking to. God is is sovereign over all things. He has control. Over and over again, God has proven miracle upon miracle. God, God heals the blind. God makes the lame walk. God brings dead hearts to life. God has power. God parts the Red Sea. God makes the sun stop in the air. God has done all things, and He is in control over all things. And when you pray, you are confessing that, whether you say it or not. Why would you come to God and ask for something if He didn't have the control, the power to do it? You, you, nobody comes to me uh, and, and asks me you know, about permission to, to, to have a parade on downtown, in downtown Fountain Inn. You don't ask me permission for that. Because I have no power to give you that. I, I can't block off the roads. and I can't set up a fireworks show like they had there last night. I have no power, so people don't come and ask me that. But when we come to God and we ask Him to do big things, when we come to God and we ask Him to change hearts, when we come to God and ask for healing, we ask for comfort, we ask for grace, we're acknowledging He has the power to do those things. God is in control. J.I. Packer has a great book called Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. And he starts his very first chapter with, with this very point. He says, I do not intend to spend a lot of time at all proving to you the general truth that God is sovereign in this world. There's no need. For I know that if you are a Christian, you believe this already. How do I know that? Because I know that if you're a Christian, you pray. And you recognize, and, and the recognition of God's sovereignty is the basis for your prayers. In prayer, you ask for things and give thanks for things. Why? Because you recognize that God is the author and the source of all the good that you already have and all the good that you hope for in the future. That's the fundamental philosophy of Christian prayer. When we are on our knees, 
we know that it is not we who are in control of the world. Isn't that a good reminder? You are not in control of the world. Praise God. Praise God the world does not keep spinning because I tell it to. Praise God that the nations of the world are not dependent on my decisions tomorrow. Praise God that He is in control of all things. And when we pray, we're acknowledging just that fact. God is in control. And what's incredible, what's, what's mysterious and just mind-blowing is that the God who is in control has so chosen to use our prayers in His power to do the things that He wants to do. Verse 15, The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Now, there, there might be a temptation to quickly qualify this verse and kind of, you know, kind of argue it away here, but let's, let's be careful. Let's be slow to hear, hear what it really says. God will, may choose to use someone's prayer of faith as the instrument to save someone who is sick. That's what James is telling you, that God saves them, God's in charge, but what he does, how he uses it, what he does to bring that, that healing is the prayer of somebody else. So what we might say, you know, if somebody was sick and they go and they get a round of antibiotics and we say, okay, the antibiotics killed the bacteria. And that, that's very well true. Right? I'm not denying that, of course. The, bacteria, the antibiotics were the, were the instrument God used. God can use that or he can use prayer or he can use both. The prayer is an instrument of healing. We might, we might look at the, the surgeon's knife. That's the instrument that's used to, to, to take a tumor out. So is prayer. God can use prayer and prayer about the surgeon's instrument. Again, I'm not saying we shouldn't do medicine. You hear what I'm saying? I'm just trying to draw the analogy that prayer is an instrument. And God may so use our prayers to bring healing. That can be an instrument God uses. Verse 16, pray for one another that you may be healed. This is in the context of, of, of our sin and our forgiveness. God can bring healing and forgiveness to us through the means of prayer. That is truly remarkable. Do we believe that salvation is possible? That people can turn from sin and become a Christian because we pray? Do we believe that people who are sick can be healed because we pray? I think our temptation is to doubt that prayer really is that powerful. I think our temptation is to, to minimize the effect of our prayers. And because we don't see the power of it, we don't pray. For some of us, that what makes this verse hard is that we have been through a situation where we did pray and God chose not to heal. That, I think, is the hardest. I think when we come to this verse and we say, you know, I prayed for this person who was sick. I prayed for this person who had cancer. I prayed for this person when they got in a car wreck and God didn't bring healing. So is this verse wrong? Is, can, can we really trust God? That, that, that's the kind of question that many times will lead people away from the Lord because they'll say, I, I prayed and God didn't answer. I prayed and God didn't answer. In our grief, we can look at a passage like this and say, God can't be true because I prayed and, and He didn't answer. So people say, I believe in God. I believe, I used to believe at least. I believe God had the power to heal. Lots of other people prayed. I prayed in faith. They prayed in faith. And yet this person was not healed on this earth. And so I, I, I'm tempted to walk away. And that is really hard and emotional and raw for many people. And if you're still in that place of questioning, it's, it's okay. Again, it's okay to bring God's big enough to handle your prayers. He's big enough to handle your questions. It's okay to wrestle with God. But it might be easier to, to wrestle with these kind of questions when you're not right there in the middle of grief so that you can be prepared for grief. But either way, wherever you are, it's okay to wrestle with it. First thing to say about this verse is that 
No one should carry guilt as if their faith, lack of faith, is what led to somebody not being healed. Does that make sense? That's not what James is telling you. James is not saying that God was looking at somebody who was sick and saying, man, I really wanted to heal them, but the person who was praying for them only had this much faith, and so my hands were tied, and, and so I couldn't heal them. I would have been able to heal them if they had more faith, but they didn't have enough faith, so I'm not going to heal them. That's not what James is telling us. We do not need to carry around guilt as if our lack of faith is what doomed somebody from un being unable to be healed. The, over and over again, the Bible emphasizes emphasis on faith is not about the strength of your faith. It's about who your faith is in. It's not about how much confidence you have. It's who you are believing in. Somebody could be as confident as they want, passionate as they want, most assured as they want, praying to Zeus, and it would have no power. It has no power because Zeus isn't God. But if we have just an ounce of faith, a mustard seed of faith in the one true God, that's genuine faith. Of course, God wants our faith to be strong, but what's most important about our faith is who it's in, not how strong we are. So don't carry guilt as if your lack of faith is what kept somebody from being healed. When we take James 5 and set it in the context of all the Bible, we know that he is not saying that every single prayer that gets prayed automatically, like you push this button and you get healed. You pray this and there's healing. That's not, we, we can tell. We know God is not that way. Over and over again, we read of times where healing doesn't come even though people prayed. Paul, three times, first, uh, 2 Corinthians 12, three times he prayed that a thorn would be taken from his flesh. We don't know what that was, some kind of metaphor for something he was struggling with. And he says, God didn't take it away. Instead, he wanted Paul to learn this lesson. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. He didn't take away the suffering, even though Paul, this is Paul. He wrote half your New Testament. It's about somebody of faith. So it's not a button you push and just suffering goes away. 2 Timothy 4.12, Paul says that he left Trophimus, who was ill, in Miletus. So he's like, hey, this guy, my buddy, I left him there. He's sick. Paul, he's Paul. He prayed for that guy. You know he prayed for that guy, and yet he's still sick. So God, God is not just a, a, a button we push. We can't just move the mind of God like that way. So what's going on? Is James 5.15 true or not? He says you pray in faith, and there's healing. It is absolutely true insofar as we recognize that all of our prayers are in submission to God's will. Amen? God's will is what ultimately determines all things, not our will. That's clear. This is what Jesus taught His disciples in John 14, 14, when He said, If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. How about that for a promise? James is just talking about being sick. Jesus makes it even bigger. You ask anything... In my name, and I will do it. So here's what you do. You leave today, and you say, God, in Jesus' name, I need a new car. And it's just going to show up. No, that's not what he's saying here. In Jesus' name is not a, a, a magical incantation that we just sprinkle on our prayers, and all of a sudden, our prayers are, are, are going to come true. God is not your slave like a genie is. You know, the Latin, the genie is wearing, wearing shackles on his wrist. He's enslaved to the master. God is not a genie. He's not enslaved to your will. His will rules overall. To pray in Jesus' name is shorthand for saying, I'm praying to be aligned with the will of God. God's will is what matters most. Caitlin read for us from the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done. That's all of our prayers are that. They're all praying for God's will. And we're praying for the needs we have to be aligned with God's will. God, if it's in your will, 
These are the things that I see. The sickness, the suffering, the pain, the anguish. These are the things I'm submitting to your will and asking for you to bring healing and comfort and peace. All of our prayers are that. So in, when we pray in Jesus' name, we're saying God can heal and God can work and I'm asking for His will to be done in this situation. It, it can be a, a pretty, pretty short path to go insane trying to get our minds around how do we pray and God's will, how does that all work together? There, there's some mystery there, is there not? How, how, do, how does God use our words and, as an instrument and yet Him still be in control? So we, get, we can get lost in the mystery. If God wills, that this person be healed, why do I need to pray for it? If I pray for it and he doesn't get healed, what's, you know, what's going on there? You, you, could get, you could spiral into confusion pretty quick. So we can talk about that at, at greater length at some point. But here's my encouragement to you. Praise God that his ways are not limited to what fits in the mind of humanity, right? Just because we can't logically figure out the mind of God and his sovereignty and our will and all that, it doesn't mean it's untrue. Scripture is actually pretty clear. Scripture puts us in places of tension sometimes, but it's actually pretty clear about what we're called to do. We're called to pray. And God's power works through that prayer. And we can work beyond that and think beyond that, but we can just also take that and say, okay, I'm going to pray. Because God sometimes, He does some pretty amazing things through prayer. He gives us a pretty awesome example right here. Verse 17 and 18, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Elijah prayed. This, this is not a complicated argument for James. He's not, not taking you into the weeds of theology. He's saying, Elijah, he's just a man. He's a man. He's a prophet. He was an amazing man, but he's just a man, not a God. Elijah prayed. God changed the weather. That's the logic. That's amazing. And that's, he's not alone in that. Elijah's not the only one when he prayed that something incredible happened. R.C. Sproul has a little book uh, called Does Prayer Change Things? I recommend it to you. And uh, uh, he says this, The mind of God does not change, for God does not change. Things change, and they change according to His sovereign will, which He exercises through secondary means and secondary activities. The prayer of his people is one of the means he uses to bring things to pass in the world. If you were to ask me whether prayer changes things, I answer with an unhesitating yes. God never changes. Things change all the time. And God sometimes uses our prayers as the vessel, as the instrument to change things. So Sproul goes on to make a list, and he's thinking about Hebrews chapter 11. You know Hebrews chapter 11 is the faith hall of fame. And each little line begins with, by faith, Noah, by faith, Abraham, by faith, and so forth and so on. Well, Sproul makes a similar level list about prayer. By prayer, Esau's heart was changed toward Jacob, so they met in a friendly rather than hostile manner. By prayer, Moses, uh, by the prayer of Moses, God brought the plagues upon Egypt and removed them again. By prayer, Joshua made the sun stand still. By prayer, when Samson was ready to perish with thirst, God brought water out of a hollow place for his sustenance. By prayer, by prayer, the strength of Samson was restored, and he pulled down the temple of Dagon on the Philistines, so that those whom he killed as he died were more than he killed in all of his life. 
By prayer, Elijah, as we just heard, held back the rains for three and a half years, and by prayer, he calls it to rain again. By prayer of Hezekiah, God sent an angel and killed in one night 185,000 men of Shennacherib's army, 2 Kings 19. Over and over again, God's people pray, and powerful things happen. That's a, that's a truth for us to believe in. We submit all things to God's will, but God is powerful, and He so chooses to use the prayers of His people over and over again to display His glory in the world. Do you believe that? Do you truly believe your prayers? Elijah was a man just like us. He was a person just like us. Do you believe your prayers carry that kind of power? I'll tell you, I'll say I believe that, right? Of course, nobody's going to say, oh, no, I don't, I don't believe God has power. No, no, I say I believe it. But as I check my heart, I wonder if I really believed it, would I not pray more? Would I not pray more regularly for the things that I, I really want, the things that I think are part of the kingdom of God that I want to see Him do? Would we not pray for missions better? Would we not pray for our church? Would we not pray for our country more? Will we not pray for the things of the kingdom of God to be displayed on this earth? If we really believed in the power of prayer, would we not pray more? Believe prayer is powerful. Maybe as you hear that, you say, well, well here's my problem. I, I read verse 16 closer. It says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. So it's fine for Elijah the prophet. It's fine for the pastor. But I'm not a righteous person. You're not, and neither am I. But by God's grace, everybody who's a Christian is. Romans 3.22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. I do think, I do think James has, has a moral component to this, but here's the, here's the truth of the matter. If you're a Christian, your righteousness is not based on your deeds. If, you, if your standing before God was based on your deeds alone, none of us would be righteous. But by God's grace, He has sent His Son to this earth to be righteous and to die in the place of those who are righteous. And by faith in Him, we are declared righteous. So you can come before the throne of grace and receive mercy, not because you're holy, you're not, but because God is, is through His Son and He has made that righteousness apply to yours. Certainly we can hurt our prayers. One of my favorite uh, husband verses is First uh, Peter 3, 7. It calls on husbands to live with our wives in an understanding way. And this is the reason he tells you to love your wives well. He says, so that your prayers may not be hindered. You don't love your wife well? God's, God's not listening to your prayers very well. So we can hurt our prayers by the way we live. But James is telling us the righteousness of Christ is enough for you. And because you are a Christian, because you're a believer, God listens to your prayers. Praise God. Praise God that He listens to us. Prayer is the means of our relationship to Him. Oh, when you, when you think of prayer, it, I, and I've probably taken you down a, a, a more confusing path than you really needed to go today. I, I wrestle with that, the mind of God and how that relates to God's sovereignty. But, but come back to this over and over. He's your dad. He's your father. And He loves you. And He wants to spend time with you. And He has promised to answer your prayers may not always be how you want or when you want or what you think is best, but we trust Him and we have a relationship with Him. Like a parent to a child, we delight in our children and we love to give good things to them. Jesus tells us, how much more will your Father in heaven love to give good things to those who ask? So ask. Ask boldly. Ask fervently. Ask humbly. 
Ask consistently. Come to God in prayer. Whether sinning or suffering or celebrating, whatever else you may be going through, come to God in prayer. There's one final piece of this passage I've skipped over so far that I think is worth your attention to understand this rightly. All the way through this passage, James hasn't just been talking about individuals, has he? Have you noticed the community he's talking about here? Prayer is not just something that we do alone in our prayer closet, so to speak, like Matthew chapter 6. We should do that, but not only that. He's inviting us to seek God together. Prayerfully participate in one another's salvation. When we pray together, we're helping and encouraging one another. Notice how many different people are involved in prayer here. Verse 14, it gets the elders involved when somebody's sick. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. God, God, could, use, God could bring healing to somebody with just one person praying. So why would you get the elders involved? What, what is it, why would he ask you to get other people involved? Sometimes God uses means like that to accomplish all kinds of other purposes. Community, relationships, love, support, and encourage one another. By getting people together, he accomplishes other things that he has in mind. In this case, he calls on the church leaders, but it may be others that get involved and we worship and we grow together. Uh, verse 16, similarly, we read, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Maybe that strikes you as odd. Why do I need to confess my sins to other people? Isn't God the one who forgives? Why would I confess to other people? Well, when we bring it to a brother and sister in the Lord, or brother or sister in the Lord, what we're doing is we're bringing sin to light. I don't know about you, but if you've had a sin that's just been eating at you for a while, it can grow and grow and grow in the darkness and muck of privacy. But when you bring it to the light, you know what happens? It loses power. Satan, Satan flees. He loves the darkness. He flees the light. When we bring sin to the light, we can do that alone to God. He's, he's powerful enough. But many times he uses a brother or sister in the Lord as the, the, the vessel, the avenue, to bring it to light so it loses power. And now that brother or sister can hold you accountable and you can walk with the Lord together. And that happens by praying for one another. We pray for one another. Again, in verse 19 and 20, My brothers, if anyone among you has wandered from the truth and, bring, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sin. God could bring somebody wandering back however he so chooses. But sometimes he sends you to go love the brother or sister who's been ignoring God, has been living like God doesn't exist. He sends you out to love on them and bring them back to, to, to relationship with him and with the church. And when he does that, he's built a bond. You, you were the vessel. You were the answer to prayer. Sometimes you're the, the answer to the prayer you've been praying. God, bring them back. God says, okay, go get them. God is at work, and He's building community. He's building relationships. He's building up His family as we participate in one another's salvation. James's letter closes, I think, in verse 19 and 20. When he, it's kind of an odd way for him to end, but I think what he's doing is that he is showing, he, he, he has been living out that command for five chapters now. He has been seeking those who are wandering. He's, he's sending this letter out to people who are scattered, who are all throughout the dispersion, who are living in persecution and fear, and he's trying to bring them back, restore them back once and again. And so I think there's a beautiful way for him to end because he's saying, I, I want to do, I'm going to do this for you. Now I want you to do this for other people. The good news that James has been proclaiming to us is that God has given you an implanted word. God has given you 
by, by power of the Holy Spirit, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's been asking you for that, that, that faith, that word that he's put in you to overflow into your actions. James has been putting on display here that if we are truly Christians, that faith we claim, what we say we believe, will show up in the way that we live our lives. Our faith will go to work. And when our faith goes to work, it can transform the world. It transforms the world. And the way we practice that faith is by praying. I invite you to prayer. I invite you to believing in God, trusting in Him for all things, and trusting that He can work miracles as your faith goes to work and as you pray.